0: If you haven't opened your Bible yet, open it up. John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. And before we begin, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that you speak to us. You have spoken to us through your word. I pray that you would give us hearts that are eager to embrace what you say. Please, Lord, help us. You promised the Spirit in this text, Jesus, for those who believe, and we need the Spirit. We need the Spirit more than we know. I pray that you would satisfy us with living water, and it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Try to hear with fresh ears what Jesus has to say this morning. I mean, week after week, Jesus does amazing things. We read him do miracles We hear him give outrageous promises, and they they can become stale to Christians. If you've been in church for a long time, you can hear Jesus make an outrageous, something that's just on the verge of being crazy. It's so spectacular. It's so precious. And we can forget that these words are true. They're solid. You can build a life on what Jesus says here, more solid than the seat that you're sitting in. We can approach the Bible and sermons like we approach bedtime stories. They're nice. We like to hear them. We hear them regularly. Whether they're true or not is not, is not what matters to us, as long as we're entertained. That's not how we want to approach the Word. This is real. As real as anything you know, what Sabina just read really happened. And the promise Jesus makes are incredible. So here, with those kinds of ears. We're going to walk through this amazing scene. What we're going to do is we're just going to walk through, and as we walk through, we're going to ask questions. So we'll read a little bit. We'll ask some questions. We'll try to answer them. And as we read, we're going we're to try to see the magnitude of what Jesus is promising to you. Now, if you remember, Jesus has traveled back to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, It's a week-long feast. People are living in booths. They basically put together palm branches so that they can remember how God provided for them when they traveled in the wilderness after they left Egypt. Now, his brothers wanted him to come and do miracles. I want everybody to see the incredible things you can do, Jesus. You can get a big crowd that way. Jesus doesn't go with them. He goes privately up to the feast and starts teaching. Not working miracles, teaching in the temple. Now, it's the last day of the feast. That's what our text tells us. It's the great day. Everyone would be gathered here. And Jesus stands up and cries out. I just want you to imagine this. Imagine how crazy this would be. So over the noise of the crowd, all the people gathered there. Jesus stands up and he cries out. This is verse 37. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine anyone you know right now doing that and not looking absolutely insane? Think of anyone you know who could do that and not be absolutely crazy. No one ever spoke like this man. If anyone thirsts, Let him come to me and drink. This is an invitation. This is an invitation. That's what Jesus is doing. So our first question is this. Who's the invitation for? Who is he inviting? As you look at verse 37, who is he inviting? Anyone. That's the first important word. Anyone who thirsts. So Jesus is calling anyone. That means men, women, Children, kids, this is for you. This is for you. Ugandan, South African, Jewish, non-Jewish, Arab, anyone who thirsts. Now, when Jesus says anyone who's thirsty, he doesn't mean physical thirst, does he? He means soul thirst. And we've seen this before. He's talking about a thirsty soul. You know what soul thirst is, haven't you? Haven't you felt it before? It's that deep longing you have inside of you to be satisfied. It's an ache deep down for something, something solid, something stable, something good that will satisfy your soul. And nothing you try in this world will be able to satisfy it. That's soul thirst. That's what Jesus is talking about. The relationships you've tried, they don't don't satisfy that thirst. They don't quench it. Trying to get approval from people, approval from your parents, approval from your coworkers, it's not going to satisfy that thirst you've got inside for something more. And the reason it can't satisfy is because that thirst can only be quenched by God. We saw this when we were back in John chapter 4. The Father is called the fountain of living waters in Jeremiah chapter 2. Unless you drink from him, your soul will never have what it craves. Never. Now, I want you to notice something, and this is tremendous. Notice who Jesus invites to come to him. It's not those who are religious. You See that? He does not say, whoever's religious, come to me. You do lots of religious stuff, come on. Whoever's good, whoever's righteous enough, whoever's worthy, come to me. He doesn't say that. He's calling those who are thirsty. If Jesus was calling those who are good enough, worthy enough, do you know who could come? No one. None of us. Jesus is calling thirsty people, which means he's calling people who recognize they have a need. They need to drink. Empty, thirsty, needy. Friends, this is good news. This is the foundation for the good news that we have. The one condition that Jesus has for you to come to him is this Are you thirsty? It's the only condition for you coming to him. Do you get that? Are you thirsty? That's all Jesus cares about for you to come. Are you thirsty? Do you understand you've got a need? You're empty. That's who he wants. If that's you, that's who he wants. He's not calling to the people who are good enough in this room, worthy enough. He's not calling those people. He's calling to you if you're thirsty, empty, needy, sinful. The cross of Jesus Christ is about him paying for the sins of sinners to be forgiven. He's paying for empty souls to be filled. He's not being crucified so that good, full, worthy enough people can be saved. That's not why he's crucified. He's crucified because you cannot be good enough and you need someone else to buy a drink for your impoverished, thirsty soul. That's why he goes. That's why he's crucified. You need someone to earn a place in heaven for you. His invitation is only for sinners. You get that? The Christian invitation, the invitation of Jesus Christ himself is only for sinners. Are you a sinner? Are you empty? He's calling to you to come, to come to him. Let me say, but what if I've done terrible things? You don't know the kinds of terrible things I've done. I've done terrible things in secret no one knows about, and I've done them for a long time. There's nothing about what you've done in this condition here. It's only are you thirsty. If so, come. You're who he wants. He's inviting you. Now, What quenches a thirsty soul? That's our next question. Verse 37, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So the invitation is to come and drink from Jesus. Now, we've said up to this point that everyone is on a quest, that's everyone, to fill that empty place, to quench that soul thirst. Everyone is searching to quiet that restlessness that they have in their soul. And Jesus is inviting all of those people, come to me and drink. Have you ever gotten the thing you thought you needed or you thought you wanted? You wanted it so bad and you got it and it felt great for how long? A day, maybe. But it didn't quench the thirst So we move on to the next thing. We do this. It's it's crazy. It is insanity. We get it. It doesn't satisfy. Well, I just need more next time or the next new thing or the next thing. And we we go our whole lives trying to fill that thirst, moving on and on and on. And some people live their whole lives and they never find the one thing, the only thing that can satisfy that hunger, that thirst. It's Jesus. Jesus. He's the answer to your longings. Your soul is made custom fit for him. It's shaped just for him. And it's the only place your soul will fit is in Christ. It's like a puzzle. You guys know about puzzles, right? You have all the different cut pieces. You fit them together. And I know there are some people in here, they don't care if it's actually where it's supposed to go. They just jam it into place, and then you've got leftover pieces at the end that don't fit. If you've put together IKEA furniture before, you get a whole big bag of screws and dowels, and you can try to jam the dowel into the little screw hole and feel good about it because it almost fits, but you're not going to be able to sit in the chair at the end. There are things that we are convinced they're going to do it this time. It's going to satisfy, and it doesn't. Your soul is made to fit Jesus. You were made for him. And here's, here's why this is important. We talk about this a lot, but you don't just need things from Jesus. Because, because what we're saying right now is that things won't do it. Things won't fill it. And so we can be convinced, yeah, yeah, things... Things are not going to fill that deep longing in my soul. But then we go, but if I have Jesus, he'll give me more things. That's not what he's out to do. If things are not going to satisfy that thirst in your soul, we're not coming to Jesus simply so that he can give us more things that are not going to satisfy that thirst in our soul. What we need him to give us is himself. He is the thing that satisfies the thirst in our souls. If you've never enjoyed the person of Jesus, you've never tasted the one drink that can satisfy your soul. The offer stands come and drink. Christian, when was the last time you enjoyed Jesus? The offer stands. Come to him and drink. It's what your soul was made for. Now, when I say that Jesus satisfies our souls, I'm talking to Christians now mostly, but those who don't believe as well, If you have Jesus, life is still hard. So when I say that Jesus satisfies the deepest longings of your soul, here's what I don't mean. I don't mean that if you trust in Jesus Christ, you will now experience the fullness of joy that you will someday experience in heaven. Because because that joy in heaven will be unmixed, unmixed with sin, unmixed with any sorrow. What Jesus means is that he will give you real contentment now. Even while your life is mixed with sorrow and sin, he will give you real contentment in the deepest places of your soul if you trust Him, even while you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's His promise. And it's true. So come to Him and drink. Next question, how do we drink? Look at verse 38. Whoever believes in me, As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So Jesus invites anyone who's thirsty, anyone who's thirsty to come and drink. And he tells us that it's by believing that our souls drink from him. So doing a good deed, that's not how your soul drinks. Doing a ritual, you know what I mean by ritual, You burn a candle or incense, you move your body in just the right way. We like rituals because they feel spiritual, don't they? But that's not how your soul drinks from Jesus. It's by believing. That's how you drink. Anytime your soul trusts. So non-Christians? And Christians, anytime your soul trusts, embraces Jesus, your soul drinks. This is really important for those of you who are wondering, how do I become a Christian? A real one. A real one. It's simply by believing. Now, when you become a Christian, and only after you become a Christian, you can drink from who Jesus is by doing good works and being baptized and taking the Lord's Supper. But... This is important clarification. Your soul will only drink from him as you do those things, if you do those things, believing by faith. Faith is essential to a soul being satisfied with Jesus. Now, for some of us who know Jesus, I'm talking folks who know him. We really do know him. It can be so easy to go through the motions of life. You know what I mean by going through the motions? You're doing all the right things. You show up to the worship gathering. You say your prayers. You read your Bible. You give money to some people. And it's easy to do those things without making sure that our souls are really coming to him and embracing him. So as we do those things, we need to strive. To make our hearts embrace him through faith so that we can drink. Now, I'm going to make what's going to feel like a strange application point here because our church is in a strange position. We're moving out of the convention center. I don't know if you caught that yet. If you came in late, we have to move out of the convention center. We don't have the permissions that we hoped that we would have. And so we're moving to the church compound. We don't want to. But we have to. I'll give more details about that at the end. As a church, we can drink from Jesus as we make this move or not. So if we make this move to a different location, and for some of you, it's going to be a much more difficult location to get to. To a different time, and for some of you, it's going to be a much more difficult time. If we do it by faith, we can experience satisfaction in our souls even while we're going through something difficult. If we grumble against the authorities or against God, we won't be satisfied. That's the trade-off. And this is true in all of life. Life is hard. Sometimes life is unbearably hard. Yet, no matter how difficult it is, even in the midst of sorrow, deep sorrow, we can experience soul satisfaction that comes from intentionally trusting Jesus. So let's do that, church. We we have a Jesus who says he'll do this. He'll satisfy those who believe. So let's talk about the promise more. What's the promise Jesus is making for those who come to him and drink? Verses 38 through 39. Verse 38. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then John, the gospel writer, he clarifies Verse 39, now this Jesus said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit to those who would believe. And and John, the gospel writer, has to tell us that's what Jesus is talking about. So Jesus says, We're going to have rivers of living waters flowing out out of our hearts. And John says, he's talking about the Spirit. Those rivers of living water flowing out of your heart, that's the Holy Spirit. And he tells us that when Jesus said these words, the Spirit had not been given. Do you see that in verse 39? Because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus being glorified, that means crucified, raised from the dead, now invincible, sharing the glory of God, it changes the relationship that the people of God have with the Holy Spirit. So in the Old Testament, people experienced the Holy Spirit. Prophets, they prophesied as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, so any Old Testament believers, and there really were believers in the Old Testament, any soft heart they had towards God was through the Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit coming upon judges and the kings of Israel to give them power, but they did not have the Spirit in the same way that you and I do, who believe in the risen Jesus. Old Testament believers were really saved, but they did not have the privilege to fellowship with the risen Jesus the way you and I do. We get to enjoy the company of the glorified Jesus through the Holy Spirit. In a way they couldn't. That's the most significant thing the Holy Spirit does for us. A lot of people don't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. So we know about the Father. He loves us. He sends the Son to save us. We know about the Son. He becomes one of us. Jesus dies on a cross. He's buried. He's raised from the dead. He ascends into heaven. But we aren't sure what to do with the Holy Spirit. So it's easy for us to ignore him or to think that he's the member of the Trinity whose job it is to do tricks. Like, the Father and the Son save people, and then the Holy Spirit's job is to do miracles, make people speak in tongues, heal, do signs and wonders. He does do those things, and they're valuable when he does them. But... The Spirit of God is not left out of the work of saving us. He is essential for anyone's salvation. So so if we think of it this way, the Father is the one who plans salvation and commissions salvation to happen. Jesus is the one who accomplishes that salvation. He pays for your sins. He purchases any good thing you'll ever have. Jesus accomplishes it, but it's the Spirit who applies it to you. The only reason you can enjoy any of the salvation that Jesus has purchased for you is because the Holy Spirit himself is applying it to your spirit. You've been given the treasure of the closest possible fellowship with the infinite God. I don't think that's an overstatement. You've been given the gift of the closest possible fellowship with the infinite God. And it's only possible because the Spirit makes it happen by connecting your soul to Christ. And isn't it amazing how Jesus describes the Spirit's activity in our lives? He says it's like rivers of living water flowing out of your heart. So that's a description of abundance. He's not saying you get a little drop of water in your heart. You will have all that your soul will ever need to drink. So he's talking to thirsty people. He's saying thirsty people, you're going to have rivers coming out of your soul, not a cup, not even a pond that you could eventually run dry. These are rivers of water. It's a spring. If you come to Jesus... You will have enough water for your soul to satisfy you for endless days. Which means if you're connected to him by the Spirit, you've got to live forever. Because you have endless life and enjoyment that he is going to give to you forever and ever and ever. And it's never going to run dry. Now, where's the water Where is the water of the Spirit that Jesus promises? It's not in the temple in Jerusalem. It's not in the Jordan River. You don't have to travel to Turkey or the Philippines or America or Australia or China to drink this water. Where is it? It's in your heart. It's inside That's unique. So that's something new. In the Old Testament, you could go to the temple and you could be near the special presence of God. But now that Jesus is raised, you can drink from who he is wherever you are, whenever you believe. Because the Spirit of God is living in you. Look at verse 38. Jesus says, Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So here's our last question. Where does the Scripture say that the Spirit would be like rivers of living water flowing out of our hearts? There are lots of texts in the Old Testament about water. About God being living water for us, about water of blessing flowing from the temple at the end of the ages. Zechariah talks about a spring of water. Luke read Isaiah 44, water in the spirit. Isaiah 55 says this Come, everyone who thirsts. Does that sound familiar? Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, Come by and eat. It sounds a lot like Jesus. There are also lots of texts about the Holy Spirit's work. God's, gonna, God's promising in the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit's going to do something special someday. He's going to be inside people. He's going to change their desires and give them real life. As a result, if you read commentaries, so commentaries are books, that are written to explain the Bible. So if you read commentaries on John seven thirty eight, this verse, you will find as many passages from the Old Testament as there are commentators. Them trying to say, well, what scripture is he quoting? He says, as the scripture has said, out of his hearts will flow rivers of living water. And so they've all got different texts. They're saying, well, he's talking about Isaiah 44. Or he's talking about Isaiah 55 or Zechariah 13, or Nehemiah, or he's talking about Ezekiel 36, and none of them agree. And the reason is this. Jesus is not quoting one single text. He's summarizing what the Old Testament promised that God would do. Jesus is saying, those texts about God satisfying our deepest soul thirst with living water and those Old Testament texts where God was promising the Spirit to live inside of us, they are all about what I will do for those who believe. Which means from the beginning. At least you have to say from the Old Testament, God's purpose has been to dwell in us by the Holy Spirit. That was the plan from the beginning. God's plan from the beginning was not just to stay in a tent or a temple where you could get close. His purpose from the beginning was not to be near us or around us. God planned from the beginning that He would live inside you, a creature, a sinful creature, That was his plan. So that you would be bound to him in the closest possible way. That's what God is doing in the history of the Bible. He's working so that he can live inside of you and me. And that's what you have if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian or you're not sure, that's what he's promising to you. The closest possible fellowship with the living God, mixed with sadness in this life, hardship, difficulty, sin, but in the life to come, bound to him in the closest possible way where your soul's thirst will forever be satisfied. That was his plan. It was to make a people that he would satisfy forever through his son. That's what the Old Testament was promising. And he does it by sending his son You're saying, okay, his purpose was to satisfy us. So how do we get there? He sends his son to pay for our sins. Because you and I are sinners. We can't be in in the presence of a holy God. Jesus pays for it. He earns a place in heaven for you by his righteous life. And then the way is opened. Now you're a cleansed human he can put his own presence inside of you so that for endless days by the Spirit, you can drink of him forever. So come to him. That's why, that's why Jesus is here. It's why he's crying out. Come to him. It's an unbelievable invitation, but it's true, so believe it. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you sent your son And thank you, Jesus, that you have accomplished our salvation. You paid all that needs to be paid. And we can have forgiveness in the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for those in this room who are thirsty and have not come. Lord, would you help them to see that there is no other place to be satisfied through drinking of Jesus. I pray for all of us here. Please, Lord, would you help us to believe your son's words that in coming to him we can drink and it will never run dry? Oh, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Help us believe. We ask in your precious name. Amen.